Blog Talk Radio. harmony. The earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity. Human being, human love, on a spiritual tip. So vast, so great. The African embrace. Live beyond. Love beyond. Your skin to where you belong. Look at the 
it's a good original one. It's a good original one. do we be? We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. You see, it started a long time ago and it wasn't a show. We gave birth to a style like a precocious child. Feeling the passion for life, erasing away all the strife. Telling our tales with verbal mail, putting honey on the blade, creating language to persuade. Share who we've always been. Always a blessing, never a sin. We are doo-wop and bebop and hip-hop and we don't stop. Since our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walk tall. Cause we're hip to the world, so we create black pearl. Everyone can wear. Everyone can share. We can't live in despair. So we shine everywhere. On and on. On and on. We welcome you back to Africa on the Move, the 10th day of October, 2021. Our theme tonight is part two, Feed the Wall Machine, by any means necessary. We will discuss this theme, other hot topics and issues that are going on in our community, and we invite you to join us tonight as we speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. I'm your host, Brother Applicable. And our political panelists and analysts will share with you some thoughts on some important issues that are impacting our world. So like always, you know the way how we like to start our party. We're going to introduce our political panelists and analysts, and then we're going to proceed with what the theme, concept, or what's going on in your world and in the community. So right now, let's get started with our party. First, we'll bring in Brother Haki. We'd like to welcome Brother Haki to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Haki. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamati Mushoki, and currently I'm with African Awareness. And Brother Africa, I got to tell you, uh, this, I, I had an opportunity over the weekend to talk to some young people in reference to, to fascism. So I'm just always amazed that despite the information out here, Pertaining to, to fascism, a lot of young people simply don't get it. But then more importantly, I think that everyone should understand when we talk about fascism, we're not talking about a, a national phenomenon. We talk about a global phenomenon. So in that context, the U.S. has a vested interest in forming uh, fascism throughout the world, not just in the United States. It's important we understand that. But just to provide some credit to the young people you know, who may be listening in terms of this question around fascism, 
I thought I did this, do this piece on 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 the um, the inevitability of fascism in American society, indeed all capitalist societies. Now, the propensity of economic elites to operate society in its own interest is endemic in Western liberal democracies. In the U.S., robin barons, literally seen as thieves, valued fascism because it was the only way to combat discontent among the people. What the robber barons of the 30s perceived as an economic and or ideological crisis meant democracy was to be avoided and the rule of law seen as a tacit threat to their power and wealth. The notion of wealth above all other concerns has existed among purveyors of capitalism throughout contemporary history. The, the American Liberty League, consisted of leaders of, of, and captains of industry, formed specifically to block federal FDR's New Deal. Taxing wealth and government prospects to spur employment was simply un-American, according to them. Taking a page from aforementioned, the Business Roundtable was established in 1972. Like the previous organization, the Business Roundtable's stated intention was to make America better, advocating tax cuts for corporations, compensation for shareholders, and at the same time, unilaterally setting unlimited compensation for corporate CEOs while lobbying Congress against minimum wage hikes in the year 2020, how it seems like an American interest are being advanced. This is particularly true given the Business Roundtable position at the time of the founding advocated for a minimum wage because of its benefits to the economy and the social benefits of having families having sufficient resources to live off. I wonder what happened. There's no question, Brother Africa, that the question in terms of fascism is much more lucrative than actually creating an equitable and fair society. The psychological dimensions of valuing materialism over life does have disastrous implications for humanity. In 1934, capitalists sought to foment a fascist coup against FDR, President of the United States. The event called the Business Plot, or the White House Coup, depicted the attempt of capitalists to pay a respected major general of the, of the Army, Smedley Butler, to lead a regiment of 500,000 ex-veterans to overthrow federal FDR, presumably to establish a fascist government where power resides in the hands of capitalists solely. Butler, being appalled with the emphasis on a fascist coup, reported the affair to officials. Congressional hearings were held by the McCormick 16 committee that proceeded to whitewash the investigation, previously investigating the death of GFK or the World Trade Center when the buildings collapsed or the January 6th insurrection or hearings were currently in process. The wealthy behind these events are never held accountable, and the notion of public good is dismissed or, dis or eliminated. This tendency of the wealthy to protect other wealthy individuals is what makes fascism inevitable in the U.S. When Elon, when Elon Musk tells Bolivian officials, quote, we will cool whoever we want, end quote, it is a direct indictment of the power imbalance that exists in capitalist society, which elevates human worth based upon material possessions, relegating the poor, ethnic minorities, and women as superfluous. It must be noted the spirit of empire must incorporate some degree of fascism. In order to ensure the empire's longevity, certain values must be inculcated in the minds of the targeted population. U.S. influences over institutions like civil societies and non-governmental organizations, the IMF, International Monetary Fund, or the World Bank, continue to dictate to countries how their societies should be organized. All of these mandates encompass nefarious objectives established by Western countries like the U.S. Two examples. Steve Bannon, the former Trump advisor, attempted to create a foundation called the Movement in Europe. The objective of this organization was to foment popularism throughout Europe. 
Popularism is a concept to discreetly encourage nationalism, which legitimizes ethnic hatred, racism, and contempt for perceived others, which reinforces and supports anti-immigration. Now, in case anybody's wondering, Brother Africa, um, um, Byron Bannon was to receive his, his, his source of funding from three sources. First, from wealthy individuals who reside in a particular state that they're particularly focusing on. Secondly, from far-right indi- wealthy individuals right here in the United States. And thirdly, from the World Bank under auspices of functioning as a civil, service, civil society or capacity. Now, secondly, the World Council of Families, a network of conservative activists supported by far-right politicians, have made great inroads in sparking movements in states like Italy, Spain, Hungary, Poland, and Serbia, encouraging division while promoting traditional gender relations. Spreading, spending over $50 billion between 2019 and 2020, that amount will undoubtedly increase in years to come. It has to be pointed out, now, despite the insidious nature of informal and formal institutions augmenting social political conditions to advance fascism as a prerequisite for capitalism's survival, the fact so many people, like evangelicals, are primed to embrace fascism is particularly disconcerting. We know, generally speaking, the conservative mind tends to sense threats others do not sense. Cultural conservatism, according to the World Value Survey, surmised cultural conservatism consistently is associated with openness to authoritarian governance. Given the abundance of misinformation, deceptions, and lies by the capitalist system, vested in the accumulation or establishment of fascism, it is safe to say fascism appears to have its base, the base it needs to germinate not only in the U.S., but throughout the world. Having said that, Brother Africa, I'll just conclude that when we, when we talk about the implicit threat in terms of fascism, I certainly hope people begin to appreciate the fact that when we talk about this, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not um, hyperbole. It's not something that we're simply saying for effect. We're trying desperately to warn people in terms of the, 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 the oncoming tide in terms of fascism and the negative repercussion from a, a world of fascism. Uh, for those who don't understand the history of fascism, I suggest that they go back and look at the history of Germany, the history of Italy, and the history of Spain in terms of understanding precisely what fascism in, in, in corporates, incorporates. Now, one of the things when we talk about the context of America, we talk about the role of technology in terms of fomenting you know, injustices. We've got to certainly conclude that when we talk about casualties or potential casualties from fascism, we've got to really under, begin to understand that the, uh, the level of, of the kind of uh, brutality or, or, or the level of numbers impacted you know, by um, fascist policy, we've got to understand at some level, at some, at some point, that these, that it's just in terms of sheer numbers, those numbers are going to be astronomical. And this is the real threat that we're faced in terms of fascism in America. So I'm certainly hoping that people begin to understand and take very, very seriously this, 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 sweeping, this sweeping fascism that's taking place in society and understand the implicit threat opposed to their lives. And I close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Haki. Next, we'll go to Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thank you for having me, Brother Africa, and revolutionary greetings to you and the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the Total Liberation and Unification of Africa under Scientific Socialism. Okay, following Brother Anthony, we will now bring in Brother Moses. 
So we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Brother Moses. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Brother Afra, and thank you for having me on the show. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I, I believe that women hold up half the sky. I'm, I'm for Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And uh, this, the struggle is to, is to defeat the, the few by organizing the many and defeat the lives of the few. And we must unite as a working class people. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we now will go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Sister Eleanor. Oh, thank you so much, Brother Africa. Good evening, everyone. Uh, good evening to my fellow panelists, Brother Hakeem and Anthony, and, and Brother Anthony and Brother Moses. Uh, so good to be here with you all this evening. And thank you so much, Brother Africa, for having me. And the reality is, on the subject of fascism, fascism uh, can exist in any type of economic structure. It's not limited to capitalism. Um, the goal is to combat fascism. And as Brother Hakeem said, we saw what happened in the 30s in that Hitler, uh, the greatest fascist, and Mussolini, as, as he said, and Franco. So we saw what happened in Germany, Spain, and Italy. Right now, the biggest fight is uh, combating fascism. We actually elected an authoritarian figure in this country, Donald Trump, but the electorate was able to defeat him during the 2020 election. The problem now is that uh, several states are um, initiating legislation, have passed legislation to suppress voter rights and make it easy to um, overturn an election. So this is our greatest fight right now, is to combat fascism and this authoritarianism in this country and the world. We see it in India with Modi. We see it in Brazil with Bolsonaro. So it is a serious problem, and I'm sure it exists in other venues and uh, I, I, too many to list right now. Today is, uh, for example, Taiwan's Independence Day, October 10. October 1 is China's Independence Day. So for the people of Taiwan, happy Independence Day. And uh, thank you so much, Brother Africa, for allowing me to participate in this evening's program. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. You listen to Africa on the Moon. What we're going to do right now, we're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to discuss with our political panelists, analysts, on what's going on in our world and the community. And you, and we invite you to do the same by joining us at one three two three six seven nine zero eight four one. 
We're in the seat. We're going to take the heat. As we define it, we're going to stand behind it. This is Africa on the move. Don't you go nowhere. We'll be right back.
Welcome to Pilgrim And to the Buffaloes Who once ruled a plane Like the vultures Circling beneath the dark clouds Looking for the rain Looking for the rain Just like the city that stagger on the coastline And a nation that just can't stand much more Like the forest buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America Yes, and all of the hills Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter
it's a winner Winter in America And all of the hillers Done been killed Sit away Yeah, the people know The people know it's winter in America And ain't nobody fighting Cause nobody knows what to say And ain't nobody fighting Cause nobody knows, nobody knows right is winner in America and nothing but hell. Welcome back to Africa on the Moon. When the seat, we take the heat as we decide it, we're going to stand behind it. It's the 10th day of October. Then tonight, feed the war machine by any means necessary. Right before we went on our break, we said we'll come back with our political panelists and analysts. And we're going to discuss what's going on in your world and the community. As well as, we'd like to hear from you. Call in at 323-679-0841 for this segment and share with us what's going on in your world and the community. Right now, we're going to start off with Brother Haki. What's going on in your world and the community, Brother Haki? Yeah, first... First, Brother African, let me just let me just um, express some of my uh, um, some of my uh, concerns in terms of something Sister Eleanor said. She made a statement about uh, fascism being found in the system. Uh, I agree that the potential exists, but can she give me some 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 uh, definitive example of uh, a socialist society ever fomenting fascism? Yes, Brother Aki. We can hear you. I was waiting for Yes, we can yeah, hear I'm you. For Sister, yeah, I'm waiting for Sister Eleanor. I'm waiting for Sister Eleanor to give me a definitive example of a social society fomenting uh, fascism. Let me let me move on, Brother Africa. You hear me? Yes, we can. You go on in and right, out. I just move forward. I just move forward. All right, listen. All right, my concern is this, my concern is this Brother Africa. Uh, you know, here recently there's a very unusual phenomenon that's been taking place across the nation. Namely, we're talking about African teachers losing their jobs as a result of what is perceived as a critical race theory intent <laughs> among, among you know, African teachers. In other words, when African teachers try to instruct uh, African youth, particularly respect those things that are historical, to give them a proper understanding of who they are as an African person. Those things are perceived as very, very negative now and could cause teachers, African teachers their jobs now. So it's very, very interesting. So we talk about this fascist strain that exists in American society. And so one of the things that we, 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 when you talk about in terms of uh, the problems that are so familiar 
in society and to think that somehow that these problems that exist in society, whether it be social, political, economic, to pretend that these, 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 these things don't have impact on the way people behave, the way people see themselves, is ludicrous. So it seems to me, Brother Africa, that the teachers, women teachers' responsibility to some level is to enhance the, the, the child's self-esteem. I think this is critical, particularly when you talk about oppression in American society. So a lot of our kids have this misconception in terms of what it is to be an African person. They have this misconception in terms of what it is to be a man. They, they, they certainly have a tremendous amount of insecurity because of the, the, the uncertainty in terms of what's going to happen in the future. So all of these things legitimately impact on the way our young people think and what they feel. And so, therefore, it seems to me that if we understand that, then we also got to understand that the way the kids feel manifests itself in the way kids, kids behave. And, you know, real recently we've been having these school shootings in which young, young Africans have been, you know, shooting each other, you know, uh, over, you know, being bullied and so forth and so on. Now, clearly, a lot of these problems could be, could be uh, limited uh, or remedied if, in fact, teachers were allowed to have those kind of discussions with these African youth, particularly when it comes to self-empowerment self or improving self-image. But the mere fact that when you try to have these discussions, these African teachers find themselves being, uh, being, being fired. So clearly, Brother Africa, so we talk about the fastest strain in American society, so it, when it manifests itself among the political elite, that's one thing, or the economic elite, that's one thing. But when it's all manifested in terms of profession like teaching, then we, we have a real, very, very real problem in terms of, you know, uh, the, the spread of fascism in society. So clearly, Brother Africa, this particular phenomenon, I mean, it's, to me, it's, 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 I just don't know what to say in terms of this phenomenon, because the bottom line is that, if we, if the schools are not going to teach the kids what they need in terms of being the best they can be, then it seems to me it's incumbent upon the African community to have the create centers in the afternoon to make sure our children get what they need in terms of self-image, in terms of who they are as an African person, to instill hope and to and to, to 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 evaluate this question around what 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 is the definitive definition of strength? Uh, strength doesn't necessarily entail you know beating somebody up. I mean nobody can beat somebody up. I mean that doesn't take any strength. Strength is Strength is being able to combat the the injustices that you have to you have to you have to confront, and at the same time, being able to maintain your composure and your dignity to make sure uh, you put yourself in a position to fight against that. That is the strength in its true strength in its true sense. So our children need to understand those realities, but the teachers are being prevented from teaching our kids those things they need to know. So I find that very ironic, but I think nonetheless, I think we got to be very concerned about this. And so, because it does, this is, this is happening all the time. I think the community, the African community specifically, have to start thinking about in terms of those kind of centers in the afternoon to make sure our kids get what they need in terms of um, in terms of their own in terms of their personal development. And I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Hattie. Going to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world in the community, Brother Anthony? Oh, uh, let's see several things. Uh, I'd like to highlight three. Uh, the uh, there is an uh, an election campaign going on in the Zania, South Africa, uh, scheduled to take place November first, in which the PAC is uh, waging a vigorous campaign in order to gain uh, seats in the municipal elections going on there. And I think this is critical because it's a part of the fight that Africans are waging against neocolonialism on the 
on the continent of Africa. And this could have worldwide implications in terms of, uh, you know, whether uh, the the, uh, the PAC is victorious in its efforts or not. And hopefully they will be, because that would... Uh, that would uh, set uh, the pace of the struggle for African liberation forward. So please, uh, you know, uh, you know, pay a clo- close attention to those developments in that area. Also, I read an article uh, that was sent by a comrade of mine uh, in New African Magazine about a campaign. Uh, to depopulate Africa in order to turn it into a big farmland, a big farm, you know, to supply, um, you know, goods and raw materials uh, to the capitalist countries of Europe and, uh, and uh, and the U.S., and they're doing this by, uh, you know, uh, waging a campaign to encourage African youth to immigrate from Africa because uh, the grass is greener on the other side, so to speak. And I think this is a vicious campaign uh, to try to depopulate Africa's uh, of its youth. Much akin to chattel uh, to the uh, you know uh, slave trade that took place uh, during the seventeenth, uh, eighteenth, uh, and nineteenth centuries to depopulate the youth of Africa and uh, and leave Africans in society where they do not have a, a, a stable space in which to uh, develop their culture and their resources. So pay, uh, so please pay close attention to that. And also, uh, there is an effort being mounted by the Palestinians uh, to assert that Gaza is part of Palestine. And uh, and that needs uh, you know our attention because as Martin Luther King pointed out, uh, uh, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, and we must uh, stand with the just struggle of the Palestinian people against uh, Zionism and imperialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Next, we'll go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community? Brother Moses. Well, um, there's been some information put out by the National Network on Cuba, um, um, the end of blockade of Cuba. In 1959, the Cuban people made a revolution that overthrew a U.S.-backed dictatorship and began building a society that met the basic needs for food, housing, health care, and education of all the people. Ever since, successive U.S. governments have sought to overthrow that revolution. And so we, uh, we need to stand in solidarity with the Cuban people uh, to stop this blockade, and uh, the people of the world uh, are against this blockade. Meanwhile, Trump had a, had a rally, I think, in hours, 
yesterday, and he's spitting his vile propaganda, um, trying to make a comeback for the next election, and uh, we need to to counter uh, his propaganda with the truth. Um, also, there's a, a election coming up in Virginia, in Virginia, with with the lesser of two evils, uh, uh, the Democrats and Republicans. Uh, um, the Republican is is uh, pretty uh, Trumpish, Trumpish, and uh, hopefully he will be defeated. The, um, there's um, Reverend Al Sharpton spoke at Howard University today uh, at, at, at the um, Rankin, I believe Rankin Chapel, and uh, I don't know. There's a lot going on. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And we now will go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world in the community? Sister Eleanor. Good evening, everyone. And I'd like to um, address uh, Brother Akeem's uh, question. He asked, where was there socialism and fascism arose? Well, it arose in 1930 in Germany when the socialist parties and other progressive parties were defeated and the fascists took party, took uh, power during an election. And and this kicks off with Brother Roberts uh, mentioned and Brother Anthony. There is an election going on in Virginia, and there is a, a neo-fascist that's running that is a big Trump supporter so uh, folks really need to vote blue in Virginia because uh, this is a critical time in the United States. We've seen 18 states voter suppression laws. We see what's happening with Governor Abbott in Texas as well as Santos in Florida and what's happening in Iowa uh, is really outrageous that he can rant about race and COVID, uh, he being uh, Donald Trump. So um, there's also right now a real crisis going on with labor in the Dominican Republic in that those sugar plantations somehow are connected with American corporations and they're getting all these benefits by uh, doing business based in South Dakota, and it's rather complex. I hope to learn more about it. In addition, we don't want to forget our brothers and sisters on that island in Haiti. And uh, as we know, uh, the hurricane hit, and uh, the, there was uh, the government had was not functioning, and now gang violence is. Uh, is just out of hand, and many people are being kidnapped. But most importantly, basic things people need, such as water, clean water and food, is limited. So there is a, a health crisis in Haiti. And, of course, uh, the famine continues to go on in Ethiopia, man-made famine, uh, where one group of people are denied resources, and the uh, resources that were provided by world uh, organizations and the WHO and others have been cut off from the uh, 
is it the a gray? Uh, I may not be pronouncing it correctly. Uh, Brother Anthony or Hakeem, one of the other animals, will help me. But it was uh, the tribe that formerly ruled Ethiopia. Anyway, those people are isolated and um, being encouraged across the border into Eritrea uh, just to escape the famine and violence. Uh, that they're facing now. It's odd that the president of Ethiopia received a major peace prize. And look at this dilemma. So it shows how little we know about the world. And we're depending on people who speak the languages and maybe have special interests to tell us what's going on on the ground. And we've got to change our methods and, and get more accurate information. Um, And as Brother Robert said, the Cuban Revolution was a great success. There were people who left Cuba in the 60s who thought they were going to return, so they didn't bother to learn English. But they're being supported to this day by the U.S. government, who provides millions of dollars, I believe it's $58-plus million just to support two television stations and four radio stations. And as I have said previously, that's a social benefit where they get a paycheck to afford a decent home, health care, and food just to combat the Cuban revolution from a Florida base. Those monies need to be cut off and the embargo needs to stop now. This is not 1963. The world has changed, and there is no Soviet threat to the United States coming out of Cuba. That's, that's, that's old news, and it's no longer what's going on. So we need to lift the embargo to Cuba. There are neighbors. They're supporters of liberation and freedom and help around the world. We need to acknowledge our Cuban brothers and sisters for their great work and their successful revolution and their government. So uh, with that in mind, um, the update on uh, the Dominican Republic and the sugar plantations there is just outrageous how the people work. And uh, Brother Aki was talking about slavery, where those plantations are still rolling, and the people in Dominican Republic, uh, there's no national sovereignty that has nationalized the plantations. They're still owned by foreign investors. The labor is still produced by the Dominican people, and the sugar cane grown on Dominican soil. And uh, we need to uh, divest uh, All U.S. corporations Need to divest from the Sugar industry In Dominican Republic and, the, and, and, and Or to organize Unions there to protect Those workers uh, Because everyone needs their sugar But we don't need to take Sugar, blood sugar We need to have the sugar Grown and the workers earning Decent wages Decent and fair wages And this election in Virginia Is so important Because Virginia still has Some small farmers And those small farmers May not vote 
but they're there, and they're essential to our culture and our economy. You know, it 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 will teach the many new Americans what America used to look like. You know, America has gone through the largest influx of immigrants of any country, I I think, on earth. And right now, our uh, uh, our Hispanic brothers and sisters are a third of our population. So we are in a political. Uh, economic and cultural crises. We have so much to do to educate ourselves and each other. So this is why educating the electorate is so important. This is why educating the electorate of the importance of unions and other things. Our unions are at their lowest uh, ever. And so many people think they're not necessary. They think they make good money. They tell me how they don't accept the money that uh, these American blacks born here, you know, they that we work for nothing because we choose to, and they don't accept those wages. Well, we are displaced in the market, in, in the domestic market and other markets, and we are urgently in need of work in, uh, in the um, rank-and-file Jobs, that is, uh, nannies, uh, housekeeping, and uh, that kind of thing. We need those jobs and should be able to join the workforce on those jobs and being hired. They should not become pockets of segregation in this country, you know. So these are big cultural issues that we need to address. We can see that in this pandemic, persons in nursing homes died at a phenomenal rate because of the uh, workers being overworked and the patients being ignored. Poor nutrition, you know, never seeing a doctor. A doctor writes your death certificate and a doctor writes that you're a senior citizen who's lived a healthy life, but you're on psychotropic drugs because you've suddenly been diagnosed with schizophrenia. But they they feed these drugs to um, our seniors, Brother Africa, because the living conditions are deplorable, just deplorable. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a shock for anyone to find themselves in those conditions. So the only solution that the nursing homes have come up with is drugging, the seniors, and this is outrageous, and they're not even on palliative care. There's no care. They're just some the techs who report to the nurses, who report to the doctors that come in a few times a month to write prescriptions, and, and the system is broken. So we need to see that get fixed. We need to make sure in November that this guy, Yunkin, does not get in. He's pro-Trump. He's, he's uh, anti-labor. And uh, it's, it's just outrageous. He, he, he owns these uh, dental clinics in the area called something. I think we have some technical difficulties with law. Sister Eleanor, what we're going to do, we're going to 
see if we come back to it later, but right now what we're going to do is we're going to have a station break, and when we come back, we will continue the discussion what's going on at Will and the community. This is Africa on the Moon. Chains living in pain, today is the same, and nothing ever changes. Hung by a noose, can't tell the truth, filled with abuse, and everywhere there's danger. How long can this go on? When will the light I see? I know. I must be strong to last through my journey, yeah, last through my journey, yeah. Time will arrive when we must decide to get off the ride and stop going through these changes. Must prepare and learn how to care, but soon we'll be there while our lives won't be in danger. And when the light is clear, oh how beautiful I will be to know that I've been here and made it through my journey. Yeah, and made it through. My journey, yeah, 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 yeah. Made it through my journey. Made it through my journey. Hellerino, a bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia. A scar across the face of the earth. Pellerino, the place they brought the Africans, the place where they tried to make them slaves. Pellerino, you can feel the whip, hear the cries, and see the blood in the red clay. The clay that holds the stones together is African. And each stone is a bone from a people called slaves. Pellerino was the place where death came to dwell. His neighbors did not complain, for he was a way out. From the cold, gray, cobblestone streets to the lifeless cathedrals, tall walls of demons called angels, haunted visions of white faces, crucifying Jesus again and again. But in the sacrifice of this blood, of this dance with death, comes life more rich, more pure, more alive, where death spent many lonely nights pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, waiting for someone to die. Pellerino, a French word called the place of torture, became a place of strength, a place where faces of white saints became faces of black gods, where haunted visions and demons became healing visionaries and orishas from the motherland. And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance, to inspire a fire like the sun 
pronouncing his presence. Pellerino is the tongue of the flame, licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind, shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied. Know the chains in that great spirit did not enslave the music of my soul, did not shackle the will of my freedom, did not tarnish the glow of my gold, and all the Pellerinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America cannot destroy the majesty of my people, the love of my people, shining like the sun everywhere we go, everywhere we go. When the light is clear, oh, how beautiful I will be. And made it through my journey, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. For more than 30 years, the Piscataway Indian Nation singers and dancers have been touring the world in an attempt to break stereotypes and educate others about the history of their people. Their leader and narrator, Mark Tyak, is the son of a 28th generation Piscataway chieftain. When his father passes, it will be his turn to lead his tribe. During a ceremonial war dance, James Edwards displays the American Indian virtue of mercy by not striking his target. Steve Conway demonstrated what is called a men's grass dance. These were often used by American Indians to flatten grassy plains before making camp. Here Eagle Boy Co. leads sophomore elementary education and engineering major Melissa Zichkowski in a rabbit dance, traditionally done by couples. Conway took the stage yet again to demonstrate a ring dance, an age-old tradition of forming shapes with rings, things like eagles, turtles, and the world. Co performed an eagle dance while Tayek explained the origin of the term Indian as it is used to describe Native Americans. The term came from Columbus, who, after being taken in by natives, affectionately dubbed them Indios, Spanish for in God. If you think of the Middle East in this modern time, you can't help but say the word Palestine. People there have lost their land. Some have lost their home. They live in other countries. Their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine. Needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, our love. needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why. People cannot live, so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth, take a stand for justice, 
That's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs her freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. People of all countries, of every race and creed, we need a new beginning. Let us plant the seed. Plant the seed of love and let that love seed grow. Plant the seed for everyone so all the world will know that Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom, needs her freedom. Palestine needs our love. Thank you. We'd like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. As we sit in the seat, we're going to take the heat. We're going to find it, and we're going to stand behind it. We will continue our discussion as we talk about what's going on in our world and the community. Before we do this, there's a couple of announcements I'd like to make to share with our listening audience. Uh, just for some historical facts and information on our people, movements, and contributions, we'd like to just remind our listening audience that on this day, October the 10th, Gabriel Prosser, leader of the Slave Rebellion in Richmond, Virginia area, uh, was executed in 1800, and Al Johnson patented a bicycle frame in 1899. Also tomorrow, which will be Indigenous People Day, day 11, we also had on that day the Solidarity Day for Political Prisoners in South Africa. Those are just a few little historical facts of our history. We just want to remind you of. And right now, what we want to do is we're going to continue this discussion on what's going on in our world, in our community. And we'd like to bring our political panelists and analysts back in and get their point of view on this phenomenon as we look at this issue of the national sports press, the press that deal with sports in this country. In this particular case, we're going to talk a little bit about football, but you can relate it to all of the sports institutions in America as well as throughout the world. In terms of there seem to be a different narrative of how the national media is treating African African quarterbacks and their value versus non-African quarterbacks and their value value and performances. That was an interesting film that we um ask our panelists and analysts to take a look at and critique it. Let's have just a little bit of discussion on this whole question of this question of the national media as related to sports and its outright um, 
behavior when it comes to making analysis of African athletes and being very racist in that behavior analysis. So we're going to bring our panelists in. We're going to talk about how they view African quarterbacks and some of the contradictions. Uh, when we review that particular video, um, Brother Anthony, I ask you to lead off with us. What were some of the things that came to your mind, Brother Anthony, as relates to your question or the narratives of how African quarterbacks are being painted in the media as as it compared to their counterparts? Yes, the thing that struck me, and there were two videos I looked at. Uh, both uh, one was for this uh, was focusing upon. Uh, uh, let's see, the Ravens uh, quarterback, and the other focused on uh, Dallas's quarterback, I think. And the names I don't I, I don't remember off the top of my head. But Dak Prescott uh, for Dallas, for Dak Prescott for Dallas, and Lamar Odom for the Baltimore Ravens. Right, Lamar Jackson, I think, yeah. Okay. Lamar Jackson, right. right. Yeah, and uh, let's see, and uh, there seems to be uh, there seems to be a double standard in terms of evaluating uh, their performance in terms of whether they should get, uh, the African quarterback should get max uh, contracts or not. And uh, it reminded me of some ways of the uh, of the double standard that exists throughout all occupations, uh, in which uh, you know um, you know uh, people of African descent are involved in terms of they held that they seem to be held to a higher standard of performance. Than uh, than their European counterparts, and uh, that not only and that seems to transcend that not uh, it it, uh, it transcends sports in a way uh, because uh, uh, you know it, it it runs across all occupations that Africans are ha- are held to a different standard of conduct and uh are and the expectations are higher and uh, one of the things that struck me was that one of the um journalists involved in that is um uh you know uh Stephen A uh uh Smith who criticized uh Baltimore's Ravens quarterback saying that he wasn't an elite quarterback because uh uh because of its uh his uh past completion percentage but yet his completion percentage uh, matched those of his uh, counterparts that had similar stats. So I think there's uh, an unfair double standard, and it's being perpetuated by uh, these, uh, uh, you know, some uh, some uh, 
African neocolonialist forces, uh, you know, and um, and uh, what 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 makes these analysis critical is that fans are not able to see all all the football teams. So in terms of judging, so these talk shows are critical in terms of assessing uh, the value of the the quarterback skills. Correct me if I'm wrong in that you know in that area, but uh, because these came, uh, you know these games are tend to be broadcast recently. Uh, let's see the assessment. Uh, you know, fans only to assess the games that are broadcast within their region, and uh, so these have a very that uh, you know influence in terms of a perception and how uh, quarterbacks are compensated. Thank you, brother. Anthony. brother Haki. What do you take from the narratives of painting pictures of African quarterbacks? Does that really objectively based upon fact, nor are they being consistently judged from across the board when you look at other quarterbacks? Give me your assessment of this whole question of the narratives as it relates to African quarterbacks and how they undermine their value and their worth, Brother Haki. You know, you know, one of the things, you know, we, we, we have to assess. We have to assess the tradition when it comes to NFL football. There is a certain tradition which says that, uh, you know, uh, the quarterback is reserved for white folks. You know, that is a position, that's a cerebral position, it's a position of intelligence. And so, therefore, uh, it, by definition, it means that only white folks should be quarterbacks. So there's a tremendous amount of resistance in terms of having an African quarterback, simply because, of, number one, it dispels that, uh, that, that uh, perception. And more importantly, I think one of the things is that historically quarterbacks have been paid very, very well. So I think the idea in terms of compensating African people in terms of the sports arena, particularly when it comes to NFL football, I think for a lot of owners is problematic. Again, we just can't underestimate the question in terms of, in terms of uh, racism in American society. But one thing, so brother, actually, you know, when we talk about elite, you know, elite quarterbacks, one of the things that's very interesting, normally when they assess the what it is to be an elite quarterback, as, as brother Anthony alluded to, they talk about past, you know, percentages in terms of completions. Now, Lamar Jackson, as well as um, Dak Prescott, are doing extremely well in terms of the completions. I think that given that reality, uh, you know, that uh, the question in terms of being compensated for what they what they acknowledge is the, the, the standard in terms of a good quarterback. You think they would be compensated, but they have yet to be compensated. And this is ironic. And and keep in mind, a lot of times these African quarterbacks have to do it from from, from the backdrop of having a, a relatively weak offensive line. So historically, what has happened is that when 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 these owners recruit you know uh, African uh, quarterbacks, uh, the offensive line isn't very good. In other words, the implication is that. Given the athletic athleticism or athletic ability of African quarterbacks, they don't need good offensive lines because the African quarterbacks are quick enough, speedy enough to evade the defenders. So clearly, you know, uh, these guys make great things, and they don't have a great offense line in front of them. And that's very, very problematic for me because the more the teams that are, are contenders, 
never seem to uh, uh, have African quarterbacks, and I find that very, very ironic. And if they do recruit them, they last maybe a year at the most two. So I find that very, very ironic. But it's certainly they're never in a position to actually start in more, more competitive kind of football teams. So I find that very, very uh, you know, uh, ironic. But, you know, I think with just in terms of elite quarterback, one of the things, Brother Africa, we just just be fair about it. You know, uh, when you start talking about elite being elite, you talk about quarterbacks who are exceptional. Now, for me, when you talk about being elite, when you talk about it, when you got a quarterback that runs a 4-4-40 or 4-3-40, who got the arm strength, you know, of uh, this is unprecedented, uh, you know, who can invade defenders, you know, with ease. To me, that's elite. In other words, to do something most quarterbacks, can't, or majority quarterbacks cannot do. So in my mind, that is, in fact, elite. So the mere fact that those kind of things become discounted when it comes to African quarterbacks speaks to the, to the perniciousness of racism in the society and the, uh, the inability of NFL specifically to deal with the question of racism. But let me say one thing about the African, not to let the African athletes off the hook. Because one of the things is because we know the pervasiveness of racism in the NFL and professional sports, because we know that, the organization is the key. And it seems to me that those brothers should be the most organized, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, in, in, in terms of representatives, uh, in terms of having representation, uh, because, you know, because without that, then clearly these kind of issues that we talk about that are so pertinent to African quarterback or after athletes, period, but particularly African quarterbacks, because these things are so pertinent to their to existence in the NFL, it seems to me that you've got to have these strong unions. But the, the athletes themselves have to articulate. You cannot take a position that I'm going to lay back, keep my mouth shut, I'm going to be pragmatic, and think that you're going to have the kind of change that you desire. It simply won't happen. So that has to happen. Uh, you know, but the bottom line, Brother Africa, is this. The bottom line is what makes a quarterback uh, elite is winning. And so when we talk about Lamar Jackson and, and, and Dak Prescott, both of those brothers have been winning. So clearly they are elite quarterbacks by any standard. Now, one last thing about, about this guy, Stephen A., Jack, Stephen a. you know, one of the things, he prides himself on being a proud capitalist. I, I don't know. I don't think he understands what it means to be a capitalist. But uh, anyway, I'm not even going to all that. But in event, he prides himself on being a, 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 a proud capitalist. Uh, and the problem is that, you know, in terms of keeping those dollars flowing, certainly in terms of, you know, uh, in, in, in increasing the amount of dollars he has access to, one of the things he has to do, he has to disparage African athletes. He has to do that. Because the more he disperses them, the better he looks in the eyes of the, not only the owners but the people in the industry, you know, who who, who produces these, these these sports shows. So we understand that a lot of times Stephen A. motivations are not above board. Uh, he's doing it simply because he understands that's an economic imperative, and so he does that because he knows that by by bad mouthing you know, African athletes, particularly star African athletes, that he's to show a payday. So this is unfortunate that he he got this mindset, but he's not alone. They got they got some out there who who, who do that, uh, and unfortunately inside society general you have many black conservatives, you know who articulate stuff that they know is 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 is, is um un, unfa- unfactual, um, and they know that in fact uh, a lot of things that they say are not true, but they say them simply because they understand there's a at the end of, at the end of the day there's a paycheck uh, coming their way as a result of their buffoonery. So clearly, Brother Africa, I think that this 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 this, this problem that we have, this, this this dichotomy in terms of how you view quarterbacks in NFL has a lot to do in terms of pervasiveness that exists in American society, and that's not going anywhere. So it seems to me organization is the key for, for brothers in the in the NFL. Thank you, Brother Hakeem. Brother Moses, come and talk to us. 
while we getting played, the owners are getting paid. What do you think about this narrative about not wanting to pay the African quarterbacks that worth? Take Brother Moses. Well, this is a microcosm of, of the of the of the economic system we're under, and the political economy of capitalism, um, racism, and uh, is prevalent, and uh, it manifests itself economically. And so, you know, the fact that you know the double standards, um, you know, without unions, we're we're lost. Uh, uh, there is a we need to advocate for ourselves because the the owners are only going to pit us against each other and uh, maintain white supremacy. And, you know, this this NFL reflects that. Uh, uh, um, you know, the the players need union. That's, that's, that's you know, it's in their interest to unionize. Um, I, you know, this, this, it's nothing, it's nothing, uh, uh, mystical about it. Um, racism exists. Um, it's a capitalist system, a uh, profit-driven system. And, you know, the the owners try to pay the people of color uh, less than they, less than they pay the their their white players. Um, this this is goes back to slavery and and everything. Uh, uh, Free labor is has always been the the ambitions in terms of uh, what is what they want out of African black people. Um, uh, so you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think it's any mystery. Uh, we need we need a uh, 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 change and um, and radical change, not just cosmetic change, but radical change. And that's throughout society. Um, it won't. Have, the industries. Each industry has its own dynamics and its own contradictions. But but the overall system is capitalism, and the overall system is racist, and, and it's institutionalized racism. It's built up over over centuries, and uh, it, it's going to take a real revolution to to uh, uproot it. I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. We're going to see now we can bring our sister Eleanor back and get her position. What she think about this narrative on not wanting to pay the African quarterback, even though they earn it. Sister Eleanor? Can you well, hear me, Sister Eleanor? I, yes, Brother Africa. Um, what happens is, is that the NBC and the NFL, when they highlight these games and Sunday games and they have uh, they they always show their quarterbacks from each team, and and it is clear that uh, without unions, without organization, without an, a legal base for the uh, team members to establish their own contract, they're being taken, and they are grossly underpaid. The African African American, the diaspora that plays these games, are grossly underpaid, and the players in general are grossly underpaid. But as uh, um, your uh, as the other analysts have said, 
the only thing that's going to save these guys is to get organized, to have their own unions, not a union established by the owners. And I real and they I realize, and they need to realize that they earn more money than any of us, and it seems a, like a lot when you say you're going to get three point five million dollars. But when you have a loophole in your contract where you can be fired two hours before it becomes permanent, that's an example of what's happening. And the uh, Sean uh, McDermott that are running those. Uh, Buffalo, whatever they're called, they don't care because they're separated in a class of their own and their contracts are kind of trump tight. You know, they're not suffering any injuries and they, they, uh, they're making big money. But the reality is, is that these men are exploited labor. I believe that the singers who do the Sunday Entertainment may be earning as much, if not more, than the players and royalties and other things that perform. I think they're grossly, grossly underpaid, and it is outrageous. And it is an example of the marginalization of African labor in the United States, as all the analysts have said. So ditto. But, Brother Africa, I just have to add something really quickly. I was talking about the Dominican Republic and Haiti. They share an island, and the former vice president of the Dominican Republic is, uh, was the former president of the Roma Sugar Company, which has moved their money from the Bahamas to the Dakotas and have a, a, a shield there. This guy has died, and his four daughters remain. And the labor is often migrant labor from Haiti. And the former vice president's name is Carlos Morales. And he became vice president of uh, the Dominican Republic and later became U.S. ambassador to the Dominican Republic. And then in 1974, he became the president of the Central uh, uh, Roma sugar company, R-O-M-A-N-A, and they're known as uh, Golf and Western Industries, and uh, there have been allegations of evictions and human rights abuses for decades, so um, that's what I was just trying to bring up about what's going on in my world, in our world, and so thank you for that, and clearly, uh, football players are being uh, exploited and used, no matter how much money it appears they make. They're not getting their fair share of the earnings that these games bring in. Thank you. And Walmart Walmart makes more money off of the games than probably some of the players. It's just outrageous. Another form of slave labor, you know, you know, you're a wage slave. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. I'd like to just make a few comments about this phenomenon, um, just to get people something to think about. You know, wage. one of the things when you're talking about how to undermine um, the value of one label, there are different methods that capitalists use to um, do that. 
Now, when we look at this question of sports, you have to ask yourself, what is the value of these sports commentators or these sports analysts that they put on TV and have them talk about the game and the athletes? Well, in reality, they have more enough purpose to do, is to do just that. It is to create an artificial scenario around teams, around individuals, that they want to undermine their value. In this case, it has been used against African athletes to create a narrative in the public eyes so owners and teams can justify either underpaying the athlete or not paying the athlete at all many times you know, when athletes refuse to accept their um, value because they know they work more, they will end up getting cut because we know that paper that the contracts that they sign really is not worth anything. Just because it's in writing doesn't mean anything. You can have a contract today and be gone tomorrow. Also, I think it's also another um, method in terms of being conscious of how people spread propaganda to deceive your perception, to make you think that your eyes are not seeing what you can see. We can look at games to see how quarterbacks are performing, but at the same time, they will make one some kind of illusion of a, some kind of illusion that you are not a good quarterback if you can run and throw, but you're a better quarterback if you only can throw and only can throw from the pocket. What sense does that make? If you got somebody that can do two things versus one, when you think you're naturally, that means he has another additional tool that can be used as a means to be more successful. Why are we penalizing those who can do more than one thing? those who can throw and run versus those who can throw the ball. How can that be? Again, I think politically, if you understand the history of football and the history of the position, we call quarterback. There used to be a time that quarterback used to run the football that was part of that requirement. They don't came to throw the ball. So running and throw it, throwing the ball has always been a part of the position. But at this point in time, it's come to attack. Because for some reason, that seems to be, as you alluded to, Brother Anthony and Brother Hackey, when you come to African quarterback, quote, unquote, they seem to be more athletic. They can run and throw the ball. So instead of that being a plus, they that being a negative in the eyes of the so-called public. One of the reasons why it's being viewed as negative and don't want to become the norm is because if it become the norm that quarterbacks are most successful are those who run and throw, that means you're forcing narratives of no longer having European quarterbacks as the majority, but they'll become the minority. As you said, you are changing the nature and the status of the position, and by changing that, you also are changing the nature of who will most likely play that position, which means you have more Africans than the majority in the position than European. And since they have relegated that position to be the highest-paid position Percentage-wise, when you look at the budget of the team, then again, they don't want their money flowing in the hands of African people. So that's something we just want our listening audience to think about. I will go back to my panelists for your last anything else you want to say about this subject. And then we would like to get your position on the importance of supporting the Indigenous People Day that will take place tomorrow. And really, it's this whole month the Indigenous people of the world will be celebrating that day. So, Brother Hockey, anything else you'd like to um, maybe speak to as it relates to this question of the press? 
how the underlying values of the African quarterback in sports. I think one of the things, uh, Brother Africa, I, I think, uh, you know, we, we uh, you made a very good point. You made a very good observation. Uh, when you talk about these sportscasters and their views in terms of, you know, uh, characterizing, you know, these athletes, uh, one of the things uh, people don't often understand is that often that, that, that characterization is used as a justification by owners uh, to keep salaries low. People don't understand that. A lot of times people think that, well, this kind of hyping of athletes has more to do in terms of for entertainment value that has no other uh, uh, ulterior motive. But the bottom line is that in the context of capitalism, one thing you got to understand: nothing is nothing is uh, nothing is is is, is uh, nothing is truly you know um, uh, improbable, uh, improbable as I, I should say. Uh, in other words, this notion you know that when, we, when I think to put it more succinctly, I think one of the things when we talk about the role of propaganda, the reason why propaganda exists is because it, it affects people only on a conscious level. So if you talk something and you say it repeatedly, you say it enough, then it becomes perception, it becomes real. And so therefore, if you continue to characterize a particular player as 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 so and as, as such and such and such, then that characterization takes on a life of its own. And so when it comes to negotiating contract, uh, they can merely uh, owners can merely uh, delay, you know, giving that compensating the athlete for for the contributions on the field. Under the guise of you know the information that has been uh, you know pre- presented to the public as a justification in terms of denying that individual adequate conversation, uh, simply because of that, that because of what has been talked, what has been characterized characterized as as uh, pertaining to that particular athlete. So I think so I think clearly you know uh, we we got we got to become more more um, sophisticated in terms of understanding in terms of how society is organized. See, we keep on seeing an entertainment value. And, of course, they want you to think entertainment value because they'll continue to tell you this is all about entertainment value. But behind that veneer of entertainment value is always a, a, a notorious motive. And that notorious motive is the point that you raised, Brother Africa, which is that, listen, you undervalue these, these, these athletes' ability to get paid simply because you create a scenario which says that based upon A, B, and C, these athletes are simply not deserving. And this is particularly... A prevalent oppression when we talk about the role of or the problem that African athletes face, you know, in professional sports, particularly NFL, in terms of being compensated. Uh, so you not have you see the, the problem is that you not only have a, a particular analyst running down that particular a particular African athlete, but you will have a multitude of analysts running down that particular African athlete, and as and as a consequence, then uh, that athlete's compensation becomes greatly impacted. So clearly, brother, I could be absolutely correct. But it's a game that they play, and we got to be sophisticated enough to understand that it's not mere entertainment; that there is a trivial motive associated with it. Now, close with that. Thank you, brother Hockey, brother Anthony. And then final thoughts on this subject. Yes, I think uh, I think in terms of assessing an athlete's value. I think, uh, you know, people need to give greater weight to those people that actually played the sport than those that just, uh, you know, give an analysis of it and but never participated in the sport. In other words, I think uh, former football players are better at assessing current football players 
than uh, than people that have just a journalist uh, background but have never participated in the sport. So I think we have to uh, become more sophisticated in our assessment of athletes and uh, give greater weight to those who actually played the sport or played a sport because they have a better idea idea of the work entailed than someone who who just has a journalist background and uh, but Thank never you. participated in the sport. Thank you, Brother Brother Moses, any final thoughts on this subject? Well, um, we need to unite uh, as workers uh, with a common interest against the owners who who have a common interest of exploiting us, and uh, we need to raise consciousness, racism, and sexism, and uh, and talk about it. And uh, you know, the, the it's within our within our grasp, within our reach. To do this thing, if, if we just had the mind and the and the desire and the ambition and the drive to do it, we can do it. And so, you know, that's my word to the athletes. Uh, and I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Eleanor, any final thoughts on this particular subject matter? Sister Eleanor. Uh, yes, Brother. Um, these uh, athletes, when uh, the media plays a great role, like that guy Patrick uh, Mahomes, M-A-H-O-M-E-S. He's he's a, a, a African quarterback. And I noticed that when these games start, these athletes, these quarterbacks are shown to be very important guys and the star of the team. And uh, But the thing that's happened is that historically they said blacks weren't intelligent enough to be the quarterback. So that wasn't a position until recent years even held by blacks. But at the same time, we didn't have women journalists. We didn't have uh, black journalists and all these people. And now what's happening with football, whereas 20 years ago you look at the whole game and you hear some narrator telling you what's happening, now we're looking at a bunch of journalists, and some of them may be neo-colonials because they get paid, and they're African too, or some of them are women. And as the analysts have said, they've never played this sport. They're journalists, and they're having an opportunity for the first time to be sports journalists and discuss what these athletes are doing on the field. The reality is these athletes sign contracts that are prepared by the owner's attorneys, and they have so many loopholes until they can, they're harmful to the athletes. And they need to really begin to organize their own unions and, in addition, have their own team of attorneys separate from the owners because the owner's interest is not the interest of the workers. This is entertainment, and it's hard work, and you are a wage slave. So if you're leaving the owner to make you a contract and he's saying, oh, I'm giving you $3.5 million, you're going to make $15 million in five years. Well, 
you may not be around that long because your contract has so many loopholes because the owner's attorneys uh, are the ones drafting the contract. So what we see is an opportunity for the players right now to organize their unions and develop strong contracts that protect them and their health and the and their families, because anything that adversely affects any member of your family's health adversely affects the entire family. And the commercials and the Walmart and the Chase Bank and the automobile commercials, this is where you see all these big-time money in these football game commercials. And they show black faces now. Wouldn't see no black faces. Now we're holding credit cards and we're driving cars. But the reality is, Hyundai is making money. The owners are making money, and the players are underpaid. And this culture of football has changed, as I said, so much. We now do have black quarterbacks. It's no longer just a white guy's position. However, the black quarterbacks just aren't paid equal to the white quarterback. And that's a real problem, and it's extremely obvious. And the journalists are busy drawing circles on maps on back of player number 10, and he's supposed to run to the left and run up the field and hold the ball. I mean, they're predicting all of this before it happens. Somebody's feeding them that information. And it puts the players in a compromised situation because the players are out there playing. And when the audience begins to know what your move is going to be before you make that move, you're already in a compromised position. I mean, politically, you know, as a, as a football star, as a team member. So I just would hope that uh, the workers organize and figure out how to get paid. Because, like I said, Hyundai, uh, T-Mobile, uh, Walmart, uh, they're getting paid, but the workers are not. They're underpaid. That's it. And I've learned a lot about football in the last couple of weeks. I've never <laughs> Thank you so much to my fellow analysts and you, Brother Africa, for educating me on this subject. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Noah. And panelists, analysts, before we make our transition to the night theme, part two, feed the wall machine, that ain't mean necessary. We do want to give some credence and acknowledgement of this important holiday tomorrow, October 11, which has been titled Indigenous People's Day. For those who will be living in the region of Washington, D.C., we would actually just remind you that from 12 to 3 p.m., there will be a live event dealing with Indigenous People Day from 12 to 3 out at Malcolm X Park. Please come out and support it. They will have participants such as Michael Nephew, who represents the American Indian Movement. You will have the Uptown Boys, which is a culture group. You have individuals such as Penny Williams, representing women of all red nations. You have Pete Landros, who's with the American Indian Movement, Woodland Territory. 
You have people like Mary Phillips from the Native American Sacred Places. You have culture workers such as Lucy Murphy before me, and you have Brother Kamal Benjamin from the All African Peoples, Rupture Party GC speaking, along with Culture Group and Disney's Environment Network. So these are just some of the groups that will be out at the programs tomorrow from 12 to 3 in Washington, D.C., check out. Also, look around. There will be many virtual programs around the world. So if you see any event that's going on virtually or live, please support it. And for that sake, we just ask our panelists to say a few words on the importance of Indigenous People Day. Brother Anthony, why should our people support the Indigenous People Day? Brother Anthony. Yes. Uh we're on uh, we're on stolen land, and it was stolen from the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere by the European settler colonialists a few centuries ago. And uh, and the thing about it, though, so uh, you know, one of the things that uh, one of the uh, many lessons Parmentier left left us with. Is that uh, one of the thing the uh, the worst things you can do be is ungrateful, and uh, Africans should be grateful uh, to the indigenous people for uh, welcoming us to their land and giving us aid when we were trying to escape from chattel slavery and other forms of oppression. So we uh, so we should be grateful and uh, grateful to the indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere, not only in the Western Hemisphere, but in Africa and uh, in Asia, uh, particularly uh, you know the uh, the South Pacific, uh, where a lot of indigenous people are be are still uh, are still dealing. With the scourge of settler colonialism, particularly Papua New Guinea, Australia, and New Zealand, so uh, we need uh, we owe a great debt to the indigenous people worldwide, and uh, we will never truly be free until all indigenous people worldwide are free. And to add to the list, that's including the Palestinians as well. All right, Brother Haki, your statement on why we should support the Indigenous People Day. What's the significance of supporting this important um, holiday and movement? Well, the significance, I think, Brother Africa, is that um, in acknowledging, you know, the Indigenous people, then we create a scenario uh, which not only where we... um, we 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 identify uh, historical wrong, but we create the the uh, a possibility of that kind of thing that happen again. So it's important that we we, we support our indigenous brothers and sisters because it is key. Uh, I think when you talk about the kind of trust that these you know the the indigenous people have endured, uh, one of the things that you know which is so unfortunate is that there's not enough discussion in the society around the kind of trust that visited them. Specifically, when you think about the kind of uh, things that indigenous people did in terms of ensuring that these the early colonialists to ensure their survival here in North America, uh, their humanity is, is, is an example in terms of what we all should aspire to be. 
And so, therefore, when you, when you talk about a people who, you know, who, who spirituality, who uh, practices, uh, epitomizes the best in, in, in human society, then we have an obligation and certainly have a moral responsibility in terms of, you know, uh, uplifting such a people. And so, therefore, you know, it seems it's coming upon all of us, you know, as people who strive to create a, a better world, that those people, you know, who paid the price in terms of, you know, their desire to do that which is right, uh, and despite it all, it continued to be very spiritual, very uplifting, very humane in terms of their approach to life, uh, certainly those kind of values should be emulated. So for that reason alone, we encourage people, you know, um, you know to support the, the brothers and sisters in Washington, D.C. And, of course, you know, to my darnest, I'm going to try to be here, um, you know, because certainly uh, these brothers and sisters are um, uh, uh, deserving of any and all respect. Thank you, Brother. I keep going to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, why should we support the indigenous people today? Why should we support well, we have We have to tell the story from the indigenous people's viewpoint. I think um, Roxanne Dunbar Artis' book, um, The Indigenous People's History of the United States, is a good starting point for learning about the indigenous people's plight. Um, certainly genocide has been in the in the works, and um, as, as as Brother Anthony said, we're on stolen land, and and um, and we have to recognize the injustices that have been perpetuated throughout history, and uh, we we need to be on the right side of history. We need to be with the oppressed and with the exploited, and with the those who've been the victims of this this settler colonialism and capitalism and um so we we should identify with with our brothers and sisters and uh and uh, support their struggle and uh, as our own struggle because we're bound up there together um as as you said you know we were we were welcomed by the indigenous people we were uh, sheltered when we escaped Settle slavery, and we have a long history of struggle in terms of supporting one another. And so I, I think um, you know it's only right that uh, we support the, the the indigenous peoples and uh, and perpetuate and propagate their history, and uh, so that everyone knows and is on it's on the correct stand when it comes to the issues. Involving indigenous people And I'll just leave it there Thank you Okay, thank you Brother Moses And Sister Eleanor Give us your take on why we should Support this important Celebration and Celebration Sister Eleanor Well everyone has discussed The importance Uh, One, we're on stolen land But in this region, in the Piedmont region of the the East Coast here, uh, at one point, more slaves were held in the state of Virginia than anywhere else, but the indigenous people also lived there. And they were always there to protect us, and uh, if we were able to find a way from chattel slavery uh, to a better life. But in addition... If you look at their struggle in Virginia in the 20th century, 
when an indigenous person could not identify themselves as an indigenous person, they were forced to put themselves down as a, uh, at that time I, they used the term Negro. So we see so much uh, tragedy, and it's a real untold story, and we need to tell it now more than ever. And it's not only the indigenous people of North and South America and the South Pacific, but think of the Coons in the Kalahari Desert. They're in Africa, but there are people that have maintained themselves uh, for thousands of years, and they are used as common laborers. But the exploitation of indigenous people is a global problem. And then as I brought up the issue of the sugar company, look where they're located in South Dakota, where when Donald Trump painting, the indigenous people were outside protesting. And now we have the Morales daughters, four sisters, with all these tax shelters in North Dakota at the site of the slaughter of the indigenous people, the Sioux, uh, with with tax shelters, so it's kind of intertwined economically and socially. And so, with that, we stand in solidarity with our brothers and sisters. And uh, I just thank you for bringing this to our attention. And uh, we're going to move forward and stand strong. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, again, for those living in the Washington, D.C. region area. There will be a live Indigenous People Day event, which will take place at Malcolm X Park at 16 Euclid, Northwest, from 12 to 3 p.m. Some of the other participants will be T. Carter of the Leonard Patil Defense Committee. Uh, he'll be a speaker, along as with Sheila Henson. She's a representative of the United Tribes of Senator. These are just some of the participants that you will be able to come in contact with and see tomorrow. And we'd like to give a shout-out to Brother John Steinbach, who has been one of the key organizers of helping to bring this event about. So anyway, tomorrow edition day, go out, celebrate, tune in, and participate. So at this point in time, we take a quick revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to start on part two of Feed the Wall Machine by any means necessary. You're listening to Africa on the Move. We'll be right back.
As long as you're a black man, you're an African. 
Article, if you get a chance, please Google this article titled The Profits of War How Corporate America Crash In Cash In on the Post 9 11 Pentagon Spending Surge. The author is William D. Hutton. It was written on the 22nd September 2021. Now, let me just read a little clipping of the article and then I'll ask our, our panelists and today to respond to the article as relates to our theme tonight. It says that the cause and consequences of America's 21st century wars have by now been well documented. A staggering $8 trillion in expenditures and more than 380,000 civilian deaths as calculated by Brown University Cost of War Project. The question of who has benefited most from such an orgy of military spending 
has unfortunately received far less attention. Corporations, large and small, have left the financial feast of the post-9-11 surge in military spending with genuinely staggering sums in hand. After all, Pentagon spending has totaled an almost unimaginable $14 trillion plus since the start of the Afghan war in 2001, up to one-half of which we directly which went directly to the defense contractors. So just looking at the introduction of this particular article, The Profit of War, How Corporate America Cashed In on 9-11, Pentagon Spending. Brother Haki, we can say this 9-11 incident was a cash cow for a few, but they definitely ripped the people off. When you talk about how this thing tonight directly tied to what has been articulated from this article, from your perspective, Brother Hackey. Yeah, well, clearly the, the beneficiaries were contractors. And specifically, we talk about five contractors, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, General Dynamics, Raytheon, and Northrop Grumman. So clearly, when you talk about the $166 billion in, 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 in the expenditures, specifically for these five corporations, we have to keep in mind a little bit of, in terms of a little bit of the history. Because if we go back, and it's important that we go back to, to 9-11 back in 2001, and remember uh, there was allegations that uh, particular nations were, in fact, responsible for what happened in terms of 9-11. Uh, they come up with a document called Author- Authorized Use of Military Force. And in this document, what it stated was that uh, the Congress authorized use of force against any, any country that received as participating in the, the 9-11 attacks. And as a consequence, of course, those positions of power, in particular those five corporations and, and smaller corporations like Halliburton, uh, use that as a pretext uh, to simply to, 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 um, to, to unilater- unilaterally determine who, in fact, was responsible for, for being participating in 9-11. Of course, Afghanistan was one of those, one of those countries that they allocated as uh, responsible for the attacks on 9-11. Of course, we understand historically that when we talk about the real contributors to 9/11, uh, aside from the uh, from the United States and the Zionist-Israel connection, we, we we have to talk about the role that Israel played, not Israel, but the role that uh, the Saudi Arabia played in terms of facilitating the so-called attacks. Uh, anyway, don't, don't get me started on that. But in any event, um, so so we talk about these large, large expenditures, and what is interesting, brother Africa, when you start talking about 14 trillion dollars. In terms of being expended, you know, uh, when you include the Afghan war, uh, when you talk about those kind of expenditures, it seems to me that at some point, people should start asking the question, um, you know, just what could the fourteen trillion dollars have done in terms of revitalized the economy, in terms of jobs, affordable housing, education, uh, health care for the people in America? Uh, it could have went a long way in terms of providing those things that people in society desperately need, desperately need. So the mere fact that they can allocate this kind of money for war speaks the kind of indifference uh, that's so so prominent among the minds of people in position of power in the society. And keep in mind, Brother Africa, you know, with the conclusion of the Afghan war, and this was very interesting, but when we talk about the conclusion, the Senate's Armed Service Committee added $25 billion to the Pentagon. 
Now, that was very interesting. So even though they lost that 20-year war, they still rewarded them with 25, additional, 25 billion additional dollars, in addition to the over $800 billion that they're allocated yearly. And I think also that people should understand, but when we talk about this, this, um, this propensity for war and the destructiveness that it entails, we have to, we have to give some, pay some attention uh, to one of the chief architects in terms of facilitating the so-called global war on terror. Aside, of course, aside from George W. Bush. That individual would be Barack Hussein Obama. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the things the article talks about is the expenditures in terms of spending on the Pentagon in terms of these military uh, services actually took off during Obama's terms, and it has been going up ever since. So clearly, you know, so when we talk about these people who profit from war, keep in mind they can only profit from war to the extent that people in positions of power, political power, are willing to play ball in terms of funding these contracts to them. So in that context, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, they all do the same thing. So clearly, in terms of, uh, in terms of the needs of the people in society, those needs are really esoteric. Those needs are not important at all. But what is important is the funding of these war, these war efforts for the sole purpose in terms of enriching these corporations who don't have any interest other than enriching themselves in terms of with lots and lots of wealth. So clearly, Brother Africa, I think, is, is sort of epitomized what we've been talking about all day in terms of the flow of, uh, of fascism in society and how fascism tends to empower those, and those who get empowered tend to use that power to crush all others. So I'll close with that, Brother Africa. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Anthony, they say the purse is now open. The post-9-11 flood of military contracts. What did they mean by that, Brother Anthony? Talk to us. What they meant by that was that in the name of security and whatnot, uh, the U.S. public and especially the political leadership was willing to go along with allocating whatever uh, whatever resources the Pentagon claim, claimed they needed in order to protect the U.S. Uh, from the type of attacks that took place on uh, on September 11th, 2001. And uh, in, the, in the guise of security, contractors uh, ripped off not only the U.S., but also the people of the U.S. big time, because it was the it, 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 uh, the, uh, the money came from uh, uh, from the taxpaying public, and uh, those people that were able to find loopholes to get a, to circumvent uh, U.S. tax laws and whatnot, they didn't bear the brunt of that. But the rank-and-file working masses bore the brunt of that, and they bore the brunt of the cost of human life as well. And uh, let's see, whatever, uh, you know, whenever uh, uh, shoddy work was done by the contractors, that cost, uh, you know, some of the U.S. troops' lives. And not to mention, uh, you know, all the 
all the, uh, you know, Asians, uh, the Iraqis and Afghanis that were killed during, uh, you know, during this uh, war campaign. And also the torture that uh, that 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 they endured at the hands of some of these same U.S. contractors. So this was, uh, you know, very devastating uh, from uh, from an uh, you know from a humanitarian uh, you know standpoint, and also uh, and also. Uh, they they could have been so many uses that that money could have been put to that would have alleviated, uh, alleviated uh, the amount of human suffering here. Uh, you know, that uh, Brother Haki alluded to in terms of things like education, health care, uh, employment, infrastructure development, et cetera. But uh, uh, but it, it shows the viciousness of all forms of uh, capitalism, particularly in its uh, finance capital stage, that uh, it is a system that doesn't give a damn about human life, and uh, and uh, you know was uh, and and it's devastating to humanity and the environment. Thank you, Brother Evans. Sister Eleanor, we want to know who benefited from this this phenomenon of this 9-11 arena. Sister Eleanor, who benefited from all these wars? Talk to us, Sister Eleanor. It appeared that the contractors, their subcontractors, are the beneficiaries of the persons who lost were the Iraqi and the Afghani people and the U.S. military. As Brother Anthony said, uh, one, one electrician who received $43 million um, uh, cost 26 military persons, not including the uh, uh, domestic or Afghani personnel, their lives because they didn't ground the electric the electrical system that they put in. We also see that the Taliban benefited because every time a caravan of trucks, according to the article, uh, went through 300 trucks, $1,500 a head. That's a half a million dollars. And what's even more shocking are uh, two contractors that at one point they were more contractors doing interrogation on the ground, then there were U.S. military interrogators. And uh, they ran the prison and uh, everything else in Afghanistan. And, And who are these people? How did civilians become interrogators? Uh, uh, Blackwater was... uh, uh, rebranded and became uh, X, uh, XE Services, and they had so many small companies, and these companies are well entrenched and uh, uh, doing outrageous things. Shoddy work, the article called the electrical work. Hillary Clinton brought up the fact that there were improprieties 
and apparently no one listens. $43 million was spent on um, building a gas station in the middle of nowhere that never functioned. And the Army, as they said, set no standards for contractors. That's not their job, technically. But uh, it is true that they set no no standards. And Halliburton always is at the top of the list. Let's, let's just face that. You know, Halliburton, you know, Lockheed Martin. And they not only are uh, doing horrible things internationally, but also domestically. Because remember some years ago, Halliburton had the contract for parking tickets in the District of Columbia. So uh, wartime contracting is uh, the worst thing we've seen since 9-11. It is an atrocity against the people and the United States. So much money, as the analyst said, was wasted. It could go to benefit uh, our health care system, housing, education, care for the elderly, and so many, and the infrastructure of this country instead went to first fight an urban war in Iraq. Who benefited from that? The thieves that stole millions of U.S. dollars from the Iraqis and untold number of artifacts, you know, that belong to humanity because that was the site of ancient civilization. That stuff was looted and stolen, and that's part of the untold story. And it's really uh, shocking. And uh, I hope we learn something from uh, from this. And uh, the international oil trading company, which uh, it received $2.7 billion from the Pentagon Defense a Logistic Agency to provide fuel for the U.S. operation uh, in, in Iraq. That's outrageous. An investigation by Congress was Waxman, I think he's out of uh, California, uh, chair of the Housing Government uh, Oversight and Reform Committee, found that the firm had uh, overcharged the Pentagon for the fuel it shipped into Iraq, making more than uh, $200 million in profits on oil sales and one point. $4 billion during the period from 2004 to 2008. In four years, these are U.S. dollars just being overcharged for fuel to run our military equipment. So uh, we also see that the contractors benefited with their money, millions going into their lavish housing. I think that lavish housing was their pocket because none of us stay in Iraq or Afghanistan. So uh, the small corporations and the large corporations, the warmongers benefited. These guys they call mercenaries that form corporations, they were the benefit. They, they set up torture sites in Iraq, I mean, and in, in Afghanistan, 
so that they could interrogate the citizens of Afghanistan. Outrageous. These these are outrageous situations. And the U.S. government was the, the loser, and the U.S. military was the loser in this operation. The Taliban were the benefactors, Howard Burton, the big corporation, as well as these small contractors who walked away with hundreds of millions of dollars. Sometimes some of them appeared to have reached the million dollar mark, the billion dollar mark themselves. So it's just an outrage. And the real loss was that we taught American soldiers, young men, how to fight urban warfare in Iraq, where we went in knocking doors down, breaking in people's apartments, making them lay on the floor, looting their homes. This is outrageous because where do those young soldiers return to the United States? What kind of jobs do they take? Often they work on the police force. So we're creating these terrorists. What do we have a problem with in this country now? Funding the police. On October 7th, Brother Africa, the New York City Police Foundation held this annual uh, fundraising. Now, people like Amazon and all these big companies that Brother Hakeem and others mentioned, they're there as well. They pay as much as $100,000 for a table at these events. And what money goes to these police foundations is not transparent. No one knows what it's for, but we do know that increasingly military Equipment is what police forces throughout the United States are calling for, militarized equipment. Uh, we do not need to use this type of equipment against the U.S. citizens. It's, 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 it's inappropriate. And there are over 250 of these uh, police foundations nationwide, and there's no transparency and the big corporations sit at the table and dish out the money in cities like New York and elsewhere. And it is a harm. So we lost a trillion dollars fighting a war in Iraq that no one benefited from but the contracts. Thank no you, Senator the US Thank you, Sister Eleanor. We'll go with Brother Moses. Brother Moses, when you talk about this question of corruption and this question that everyone everyone has their hand in the pot, what do you take from this article, Brother Moses? Well, let me say the article is well written. It's very concrete. Uh, gives real examples of, of what it's talking about in terms of corruption and, and um Waste, and uh, you know, it points out Halliburton and all all the companies that have been named uh, Northrop um, and um, these these companies um, are part of the war machine. The the military-industrial complex that Eisenhower talked about. Uh, we uh, we went into. Iraq with the big lie that there was weapons of mass destruction and, and whipped up all the history about about the threat of Saddam Hussein, etc. And we went into Iraq and with shock and awe, we bombed them back into the Middle Ages. And uh, and 
then with the quote war on terrorism, we went into to Afghanistan, and uh, twenty years later, we're still coming out. And uh, and uh, I don't know. I mean, we killed Osama bin Laden in, in Pakistan, and uh, and they um, they still have not really done anything in terms of terrorism except produce the biggest terrorism uh, on earth, which is the U.S. government. And, uh, you know, with the drones and uh, all the extrajudicial killings and stuff, I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. Uh, uh, we don't, you, you don't get a trial, you don't get a jury, you don't get anything, you just get killed. And, uh, you know, we have to take their word for it that these are the, quote, the bad guys, unquote. And, you know, we know anybody who has a problem with the U.S., including people like us, you know, we, we if we were over there, we would be on the terrorist list uh, because anybody criticizing the U.S. was subjected to be on that list. And um, so, you know, we this war machine uh, has got to be stopped. Uh, the U.S. government is the biggest purveyor of violence on the face of the earth, and we... We have to recognize that and uh, and uh, organize. We we need a we need an alternative government, and uh, and it's going to take organization, and uh, um, it's going to take a, a lot of education and a lot of, of organization. Um, and I I don't know what else to say. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses and Brother Hakeem. When they really talk about the term, the U.S. water war machine, they call it the U.S. war machine. Can you speak a little bit more in detail to what they mean by a war machine? How are people victimized? And when you read this article, I find it amazing that they can actually print the truth of corruption and don't feel no reprisal, nobody to go to jail. And looking at the many lives that were lost under this game, um, what do you make of this this, this issue of, 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 I guess it's true, they say absolute power, absolute corrupt? Your response, Brother Hockey? Well, <laughs> Brother Africa, you know, this article is only the tip of the iceberg. Remember, um, of the. Are um, you telling me it's uh, worse than what, what this article read? It, it's, it's much worse than this article is writing. But in any event, uh, you remember they they spoke the um, top officials in the Pentagon, along with uh, politicians, stole twenty one trillion dollars uh, uh, from the from the uh, from the uh, military budget. Twenty one trillion dollars with a T. So the kind of corruption that you're talking about, brother in Africa, is is no question about it. It's endemic. I mean, it's it's just it's, it's just nature of the beast. But I I quite I concur with you totally. I mean, one of the things that when you talk about this level of corruption. Uh, you think that any rational person would become irate in terms of, you know, uh, sitting down here and reading the level of corruption that exists in the society. You think you think they have a revolution, a revolution tomorrow. But uh, people are so comfortable in terms of, you know, corruption that they see it as commonplace. And so in, in that context, they really don't see any incentive in terms of saying anything because corruption is just the way things are. Uh, certainly, when we talk about the, the corruption that exists between politicians and the military industry, is very, very clear. And the article talks about the revolving door in terms of people who lead uh, politics, who lead the military, and end up in these, these uh, military industries. Uh, uh, it 
talks about in terms of the, 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 the profitability, the enormous amount of money they received in terms of making that transition. Not to mention, they didn't even talk about lobbying, Brother African. When you talk about the lobbying in terms of, you know, these military industries in terms of their lobbying efforts, I mean, they, they lead to, they, I mean, in terms of all categories, they link up there in terms of their ability in terms of expenditures. And not only that, the number of people they actually send per congressperson to influence their, their vote on particular issues that are, are pertinent to themselves. So clearly, Brother African, this is kind of a corruption that we're talking about. You know, uh, you know, it's not going anywhere. It's built into the system. And one of the things people got to understand when we talk about capitalism, when we talk about a system which says winner takes all, we got to understand that these people, these people focus is is on the very tenets of, his, of the capitalist system, which says um, that says says what is important. That which is what's important in capitalism is the attain, the attainment obtainment of cash. Attainment of cash is all that matters. That's all that matters. If you live in a system which says that attainment of cash or wealth is all that matters, then why do you not understand? that people are going to not only um, gain the system, but they can create a system which is beneficial to themselves. I don't know why American people can't seem to get that, that fundamental concept. Uh, so, so what they're doing is, is anathema to, you know, to, to the way a capitalist system works. Uh, on the one hand, you know, they talk about the fact that we, did, we got this democracy in which we want to, uh, we want to sustain, you know, sustain a democracy that certainly you have to invest in its people, you know, on the other hand, you create a scenario in which you actually defund the people. The things that people need become defunded. Uh, and aside from that, Brother Africa, there's never a dis- destruction. When this article talks about 300,000 300, people uh, killed in terms of collateral, you know, collateral damage in terms of U.S. wars since 2001. Well, the reality is that even the State Department's number is even higher than that. They estimate between over a million people, uh, civilians, have been died as a result of U.S. wars around the world. So clearly, Brother Africa, this kind of corruption, this endemic corruption, you know, it's just, it's just not going nowhere. And what we have to understand is that when we talk about this kind of endemic corruption, when you talk about the systematic destruction of life, we got to understand it doesn't only pertain to people around the world. As Malcolm mentioned to say, at some point, the, boost, the, the, the rooster will come home, the, the rooster will come home to roost. Inevitably, we, when, we, when we see these police killings of, of, of innocent people in the society, particularly innocent African people, then we got to understand that level of killing is going to actually expand. It's not going to decrease. It's going to expand. And so when we talk about this, 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 this program, 1033, which specifically sent the most high-powered weaponry to the police in the United States, then they're saying to you very, very clearly in a very, very succinct way that people in the society are the enemy. Uh, uh, is there money to be made in terms of maintaining the oppression of the people? Of course there's money to be made. And because that money to be made, then you got you got to understand that the oppression of the people is assured. The kind of fascism that we're talking about that that's sweeping the society, it's going to it's only it's on it's only exacerbate. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And we have to understand that. But the question in terms of corruption, we have to understand the 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 the, the, the definitive benefit, the impact it has on the very negative impact it has on the mass of the people in society. And it seems to me that, you know, if, if we don't fundamentally understand that reality, then it's very difficult for us to understand any other reality. So clearly we've got to understand that this this uh, this, this abhorrent system that it, that's known as capitalism, uh, the, um, the uh, purveyor of fascism, and only capitalism is purveyor of fascism, uh, clearly when we talk about that, then we've got to understand the implicit threat opposed to all of us living in the context here in North America.
Thank you, Brother Haki and Brother Abner, for tonight. I'd like to get you to respond to the article in the context of person read this article and understand the history of the U.S. One may arrive at the conclusion that the so-called enemy is the enemy for winning the U.S. border. What is your response to that conclusion, Brother Anthony? Uh, I would say that that is accurate because uh, uh, capitalism uh, knows knows no bounds or boundaries in terms of uh, 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 of maintaining uh, its profits, increasing its profits, and expanding its domination of the world's resources. And in turn, and um, there's another article that gets into why a lot of people in the U.S. don't understand that. But we might not get to that article tonight, unfortunately. But uh, but the thing about it, though, um, the a lot of people are in the U.S. are conditioned by the media especially, and educational system, to a lesser extent, to not understand what is really, uh, what the real deal is. And that is that, uh, that, 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 that uh, imperialism, uh, which is the highest stage of capitalism, is about maximizing profits by any means necessary including sacrificing portions of uh, 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 of the nation's own population in order to achieve that end. And uh, this is a very dangerous time uh, because uh, the struggle, uh, you know, is intensifying as imperialism is struggling to survive uh, within... Uh, the limits of the resources of the earth, which uh, which uh, is an intent on destroying in order to maintain its profits. And uh, this corruption is, uh, is getting worse by the day. And it should be pointed out for those people that don't remember that it was under the Obama administration that the uh, that the uh, that, that 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 the use of drone strikes and other uh, and other methods of uh, assassination intensified, as well as uh, the spending on the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, they intensified under the administration, in addition to the atrocities that were committed in Africa. So, uh, you know, so I think, uh, I think because a lot of people depend upon uh, the corporate media for their information, uh, they're poorly informed, and uh, it's, it becomes, uh, you know, the task of the progressive forces to uh to inform uh, or to form them of the current reality, and that is only the organization of people that are going to put an end to this. 
but the people are getting played, basically. Thank you, Brother Anthony, and to our listening audience, please take some time out to check out this article, The Prophets of War, How Copy America Cash In on the Post-9-11 Pentagon Spending Surge. It, went by, it was written by William D. Hot, Hot on the 22nd of September 2021. Excellent article. So at this point in time, what we will like to do is we're going to pause for the call. So when we come back, we have our political analysts and panelists give us their final thought on part two, Free the War Machine by Enemy Necessary, and we will continue discussion next week on part three. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Keep our freedom, but Lord knows there's got to be a 
fight for your freedom. As Dr. King would say, the time is always right to do what is right. It's time, been time for us to fight for our freedom. We welcome you back to Africa on the Moon. We're doing a three-part, a two-part series tonight titled Feed the War Machine by Any Means Necessary. We now will have our political analysts and panelists to give us their final thoughts for today's program. We'll start with Brother Moses, and we'll bring him in. Brother Moses, your final thoughts for tonight. How you there, Brother Moses? All right, we'll wait for Brother Moses. Let's go to Sister Eleanor. Sister Eleanor, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, Brother Africa, what we saw when I read that there were more interrogators in uh, Abu Ghraib 
civilian interrogators and there were military and the, the way the men were tortured and what we saw in the early 20th century, that, that just showed us that this war machine is out of control. And an organization called Titan and the other one, CACI, and the fact that uh, the United Arab Emirates is now is still playing a role in Middle Eastern war machine and these mercenaries, and now they want to invade Libya and try to get Trump to go along with it. We see that Eric Price, uh, that uh, was one of the founders of Blackwater or something that uh, came out of that Hollow Burton pact, he formed two organizations, something called the Triple Pan, uh, uh, Canopy. This article is so comprehensive, and it shows the death, the life and death of so many civilians and soldiers, why no one benefited but these war machine corporations with this, uh, what they call mercenaries and interrogators and establishing prisons, electrical companies who fry our soldiers, electrocute 26 soldiers. That's what's documented. God knows what the real toll is. And we have soldiers that are responsible for setting job work standards and, and contractor standards. That's not what soldiers are trained to do. They're trained to fight legitimate wars. This, the war machine is out of control. It's, it's out of control domestically and internationally. And this war machine has contracts, as Brother King said, locally or domestically as well as internationally. So we learned this, and we learned that we need to limit Pentagon spending. We need to stand up and support uh, the elimination of the Pentagon constantly increasing budget and to have more oversight and scrutiny of the Pentagon budget and that the activities of the 21st century need to be fully exposed to the American people and the world so that this will not happen again anywhere. And with that, Brother Africa, thank you for having me this evening, staying in solidarity with the Palestinians fighting Israeli apartheid and with the Cuban people. Uh, the days of the uh, embargo had passed 50 years ago, time for us to stand up and get rid of it. It's another corporate sham, and we got to stop let corporations as like uh, the Roma Sugar Company uh, uh, had their vice president of the Dominican Republic become uh, the ambassador of the United States to the Dominican Republic, live in the Dakotas in the United States, die filthy rich, while the Haitians who work in the Dominican Republic are marginalized, earning only $125 a month while these warmongers are walking away with trillions from the U.S. government's pocket. It's time for the people to stand up, organize, support public education, universal health care, save Mother Earth from this 
atrocity, man-made atrocity that we created, support the Tigray people and making sure they get fed. You know, we can have political differences in Ethiopia, but they should not cost people their lives because of hunger, a lack of water, and health care. So this article really showed the atrocity and how out of control the war machine is, the corporate war machine is. It's out of control. The Pentagon can't control it, nor can the president, as uh, Brother Akeem said, Barack Obama, I'm sure, didn't intend to advance war, but it certainly did. That budget was going up under his watch, and there was no one watching that was competent other than the corporation and their lobbyists. And their lobbyists are very effective. And they have robbed the American people and cost millions of lives in Afghanistan and Iraq. And in Abu Ghraib. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And we do agree with you that the people need to stand up and stand out. Let's see if we can bring Brother Moses back in. Brother Moses, are you there? You're fine yeah. for us for the night. Yes. Um, you know, we, we the war machine is, is uh, as Stalin says, the open tyranny of finance capital. And that's what we saw with the shock and awe. It was just finance capital just terrorizing the the Iraqi people. And um, then they moved on and uh, with the war on terrorism in in, in in Afghanistan, would terrorize the people with with the money and the ability to, to put airplanes in the air, drones in the air, and uh, troops on the ground, and uh, terrorize these people. And then they wanted regime change in Syria, so they went after Syria and uh, and been bombing them and, and supporting uh, the Saudi Arabia and other other countries who who want regime change in, in Syria. Then that wasn't enough. They had to go with Hillary Clinton and her lackeys and uh, overthrow uh, Gaddafi in Libya and that turn the country into a, a anarchist state and. Uh, you know, so this war machine is very real. This finance capital, and you know, fascism comes out of capitalism. It doesn't come out of anything other than capitalism. It, you know, that's scientific socialism and scientific political science, and uh, we have to understand that. Uh, we have to know who our enemies and who our friends are, and we have to have a scientific basis of understanding how people, how society develops, and how countries. Economies, political economies develop, and um, so you know we here in the U.S. have a great task before us. Uh, we're in the heart of the beast. They want to police the world. They want to dominate and and dictate to the world what kind of government they can have and who who they can be friends with, who they can trade with, who they who they can blockade, who they can embargo, and. Uh, and so we we here in the U.S. have a tremendous task, tremendous task, and we we have to organize, we have to educate, we have to we have to 
to agitate, to do everything we can to stop this war machine. And I, I you know, it's a real war machine, and, uh, you know, and lobbyists, companies uh, that benefit from exploding bombs that they make, they make, and they, they have no other, no other way of making income except they get their bombs, their bombs explode, and they can make more bombs, and um, they make weapons, uh, military weapons, uh, tanks. Airplanes, all these things contribute to to the, the desire to use them, and the only way they can use them is in a war. And so we have a war machine, and uh, we have to recognize that. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. And we now move, we'll move to Brother Hackey. Brother Hackey, your final thoughts for tonight. Well, brother Africa, you know, uh, you know, um, you know. I let me let me try to make it very very clear in terms of what constitutes fascism. It's an elementary um, characterization of fascism, but I think it sort of gets to the point uh, in terms of getting people, you know, uh, to understand clearly what fascism is. Let me put it let me put it to people this way: fascism simply is corporate power run amok. In other words. Normally, when we think in the context of democracy, we think in terms of representatives. We think in terms of you know people having input in terms of shaping policy. Where in the context of fascism, that doesn't exist because corporate power they determine policy. They determine what people can have access to, what they don't have access to. They determine what is right, what is wrong. They determine uh, fairness. What is they determine all of that. So they unilaterally determine everything that goes on in society. Of course, and when you think about corporate, 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 you corporate, the corporate corporations, then you got to understand that their fixation is the bottom line. So they are not concerned about justice, not concerned about equality, they're not concerned about um, police brutality, they're not concerned about any of those things. What they're concerned about is the bottom line, pure and simple. Anything, any anybody that gets in the way in terms of their accumulation of capital becomes a threat. But what has to be dealt with. We have to understand this very, very clearly. They understand that inevitably, you know, the numbers of people who are disenchanted with what's going on in society is going to grow. Their first, their first strategy is to pit people against one another. It's going to work. I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to work. They're going to pit poor white folks against, against African people. They're going to pit poor white folks against Asian people or against Hispanic people. It's going to work. But once they, but here's the thing. But once they realize, you know, that that strategy is not as effective as they would like it to be. In other words, when people come to the realization after killing each other that they have to move to work together in order to destroy this beast, at that point, then they bring out the, the then they bring out the weaponry. That's when you have uh, the, the, the that's when you have the the the, uh, the, 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 the financing of militarized groups, not just not not just the groups that operate in, in the context. You know, of law enforcement. Well, I'm talking about groups who, you know, informally who operate racist groups that, who operate uh, in America, who will be funded by the United States government in terms of maintaining law and order. So fascism is is is, is on its way here, and so we let's not delude ourselves. And so for those of us who think that uh, pragmatism is a is, is an intelligent move, you got to understand something. When I keep saying to you that history goes on. 
No human being can no human beings can stop history. History goes on. If the history of fascism that is historically has always existed in Europe, and the fact that it's well not 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 mostly mostly Europe, there have been exceptions in which outside of Europe in which you had fascism. But specifically, when you when you start talking, when, specifically in the context of America, uh, when you start talking about the, um, the 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 level of, of the level of fascism ability to spread, then we have to incorporate this notion that when we talk about capitalism, you know, uh, we got to understand that not only are corporations in 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 lockstep with this notion, you know, that materialism is in fact is the, is the order of the day. Many, many people are also ingratiated with that same kind of mindset which says that materialism is, 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 the, is, the, is the order of the day. In that context, people are, people are pragmatic because they say, or at least they believe, that if they just shut up, they are sure some material possessions. Well, short, that, may be, that may be too short term. There may be some possessions to be secured in the short term. But in the longer term, when you look in terms of destruction, the deconstruction of the economy, You've got to understand one thing fundamentally. Uh, the, up, the, 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 the possibility of the government actually to provide those things that people need, at what point, as the society deteriorates, those things, or have access to those things, will no longer be a possibility. You, like so many people who are struggling in society, will at some point will, will turn around and will wake up and realize that, you know, while you were pragmatic in terms of your observations, or pragmatic in terms of things that you did, <laughs> Then you come to realize that you're not uh, that you're not immune from the same kind of injustice that historically inflicted poor people. So we have to fundamentally understand that that reality. And let me say one last thing. I'm closest to Brother Africa. I know we run out of time, but real quickly, when I talk about fascism, there's a case called Stephen Donzinger. Please check out that case. I'm going to do a piece on that at some point, or probably next week, or maybe the week after. But it's important that we deal with that case. Because it speaks to the power, the inordinate amount of power that corporations wield in the society. And if we're not afraid now, after viewing this case, I'm certain you will be. Because once you understand the implications of this case in terms of what they did to this lawyer, then you understand the inordinate amount of power that corporations wield and why it's such a dangerous paradox uh, for people in the society. We got no other recourse but to wake up. We have to organize. We have to create those institutions. We must protect our children. I can't make it any clearer than that. Of course, achieving that is easier said than done. I mean, there are all many, many obstacles in terms of achieving that. But the bottom line, if we are to have any type of longevity in society, we must organize. We must create institutions. And we must protect our children because we don't have a choice. At this point in history, we do not have a choice. Can't make it any clearer than that. But in closing, Brother Africa, as always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. That is key. And if we unravel the matrix, then we can begin to see more clearly necessity in terms of in terms of strategy, and the necessity in terms of understanding, you know, um, utilizing that strategy in terms of being able to overcome a predicament in which many of us perceive at this point as, uh, you know, uh, in, um, um, overwhelming. So, have a said that, Brother Africa. You have a good night, and uh, we'll see you next week. That's right, Brother Hockey. We don't want our people to fall under the illusion of inclusion. We don't want to be living under the illusion. So right now, we'd like to go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that uh, we need to intensify 
our level of political organization and political education. Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism is the ultimate solution to the problems that we're facing right now that have been eloquently analyzed by my fellow panelists tonight. And uh, we have to intensify efforts to educate our children. And uh, and uh, if that means supplementing what they get in the public school system, then so be it. Uh, but we must intensify our level of political education and organization. Uh, to learn more about Pan-Africanism, please visit our website, www.a-aprp-gc.org. You can find out more about our history uh, and our objective and our ideology through that website. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Anthony. I listen to and analysts for their contribution to today's program. We'd like to thank our listening audience, friends, and supporters for also allowing us to come to our homes this evening where we can speak truth to the powerless and the powerful. We would like to remind you that Africa on the Moon is a weekly program that comes on every week, every Sunday, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. Please share the word that Africa on the Moon can be listened to by going on Blog Talk Radio Network, as well as they can call in and listen in by cell phone by dialing one three two three six seven nine zero eight four one. This is the second part of a three-part series, Feed the War Machine by Any Means Necessary. We'd like to remind you that the lessons we can learn from A. Philip Randolph, who was a civil activist, once stated that if you want your freedom, you must understand that it is never given. It must be won. So don't wait for no one to give you freedom. You got to fight for it. You got to win it. So on that note, this is Brother Africa for Africa on the Move. We'll see you next week. And we'll leave you with some music, inspiration, and music towards liberation. We'll see you next week, same time, same station. And remember, Africa is on the move. Up, That's his real name, Loki. Loki is not his real name, surprisingly enough. It's an important line there. I'm all about peace and love. Yeah. Okay. They're calling him a terrorist. Calling him a terrorist. Okay. One nation in the world has over a thousand military bases. Can you guess who? It's. Um, uh, let me give you a hint. Cutter. It is not Luxembourg. It's not just Muslims that. Have that oppose your imperialism. He's going to tell you who it is. Lumumba was democracy. Mosaddegh. Allende. There you go. Okay, so so this is the rapper. All right, that mm-hmm. is music. Bust a beat for me. Right? All right, sure.
Glenn Beck is a racist. Gaza Strip was getting bombed. Obama didn't say shit. After you divorce yourself from the right wing propaganda campaign, it's all simple and plain. America stands the game. Your president got an African name. Now who you gon' blame when they drop the bombs out of them planes? Using depleted uranium, babies looking like two-headed aliens. Follow the money trail that leads to the criminal. Ain't nothing subliminal to it. That's how they do it. See the game they run. Give a fuck if he's cunning, articulate and handsome. Afghanistan held for ransom by the hand of this black man. Neo colonial puppet, white power with a black face. He said, fuck it, I'll do it. A master of the skies, expert at telling lies. Then they gave him a Nobel Peace Prize. Should have known he was trained in Chicago. Word the chairman Fred and Mark Clark. What they do in the dark will come out in the light. Like a WikiLeaks site. So I guess the crew was right. Who's ready to fight? Last stage of imperialism, I ain't kidding. In the immortal words of Marvin Gaye, this ain't living. never see it coming. You think I'm joking?
What if mine had Twitter and all that civil rights talk, man, I wouldn't want to hear it. This integration been disintegrating. Better off in our own ghettos with our own situation. His last speech got him assassinated. Black business was booming. It wasn't just a consumer. 
controlling our narrative We have more marriages And see what the damage did They ain't that bad a bitch And welfare did us way worse than the slavery I'll never be an agent I don't care what they pay me Seem like Nip had the same old story If we pay a black hater Tell a different allegory Like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 was a mystery Supremacy will go the extent To keep their history alive All I'm saying if these leaders was alive, alive. Who be on the internet trying to divide and Use a hotel hustler Trying to be a people of that low vibe structure Agree to disagree and we ain't got to tear our own down Argue in silence or forever be our own downfall All I want to say is that we're giving it away Soul ain't for sale and the devil is a fake Argue with the silence but don't let it seal our fate Fight behind doors but don't ever show our face Cause if mom had Twitter Malcolm had Twitter To be our own people do the trolling Just be on ignorance and do the scolding Where we going? Cause if mom had Twitter and Malcolm had Twitter It'd be our own people do the trolling Just be on ignorance and do the scolding Where we go? Sometimes the key to life you looking for be right in front of you Tried to show my man hidden colors, he said nothing new I said, what if we've been lied to most of our freaking lives? Henry, you're coming tonight, and you ain't speaking right Your arrogance precedes you What if your faith did? I spoke to God on Wednesday, he said most of it's basic Million dollar mindset to be flying, stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls you couldn't take from me A man lay dead in the street today I must have bumped my head And landed in 1940 or something, I swear And all I have is love and joy to give I need to spread my wings I need to fly away I want to get high today Who got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm gonna be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already And I'm marched for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us cosmic companionship sustained me After my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work. A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head and landed in 1940 or something, I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. We all agree tonight, all of the speakers have agreed that America has a very serious problem. Not only does America have a very serious problem, but our people have a very serious problem. America's problem is... It's one of two suckers, ignorant brothers, trying to rob and steal from one another. You get caught in the mid, so to crush that stereotype, here's what we did. We got ourselves together, so that you could unite and fight for what's right. Not 
Negative cause, the way we live is positive We don't kill our relatives Pop, 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 when it's shot, who's the blame? Headlines, front page, and rap, the name MC delight, here to state the bottom line The black on black crime was way before our time Triple brother's life, what a knife, that's right Cry, cause he died of trifling death When he left, his very last breath Was I slept, so watch his step Back in the 60s, our brothers and sisters were hanged How could you gangbang? I never ever ran from the Ku Klux Klan And I shouldn't have to run from a black man Cause that's Funky Bread's dressed to impress, ready to party Money in your pocket, dying to move your body To get inside, you pay the whole thing Take to your car, leave the guns in the crack and the knives alone. MC lights on the microphone, bum rushing and pushing, snatching and taxing. I can't understand why brothers don't be maxing. There's only one disco, they'll close one more. You ain't guarding the door. So what you got a gun for? Do you rob the rich and give to the poor? Yo, daddy, yo. Fool him in the mood. straight from the mouth. Oh, why, daddy, yo. Do a crime, end up in jail, and gotta go. Cause you could do crime and get paid today. And tomorrow you're behind bars in the worst way. Far from your family. Cause you're locked away Now tell me Do you really think crime pays Even on taking what your brother has You little sucker You talking all that jazz It's time to stand together in a unity Cause if not then you're we're soon to be self-destroyed Unemployed C-Rack race will be lost without a trace Or a clue but what to do Is stop the violence and kick the science Down the road that we call eternity where knowledge is forming, you learn to be self-sufficient, independent. To teach the East is what rap intended, but society wants to invade. So do not walk this path that they laid it. Treat him as an equal. 
they call us animals, Mm-mm, I don't agree with them, I'll prove them wrong, but right is what you're proving them, take cheese before I leave for what I'm saying, or we'll all be on our knees, praying. The heavy deep, deep in the heart of the matter, the self-destruction is served on a platter, making a day, not failing to anticipate, they got greedy so they fell for the bait, that makes them a victim, picked and plucked, new jack in jail, but this is the best they ever duck, there's no one around cause in jail you're a number, they never took the time to wonder about Yes, we urge the merge. We live for the love of our people to hope they get along. Getting a point to our brothers and sisters who don't know the time. Setting your head, you know our job to build and collect ourselves with intellect. To revolve, to evolve the self-respect. Cause we got to keep ourselves in check. Or else it's Free 
speaking for the set, and we make a plea to fight apartheid, everybody, to fight against the wicked and help Mugabe, to fight apartheid and assist Nairi, support the MK and the ANC, we want to see Nelson and Winnie free, you don't know, you need to study, and when you do, we're sure you'll agree, they need help, but so do we, them with their government, us and mentality.
revolución, o muerte venceremos. El FMLN, vanguardia de un pueblo que lucha, será el que nos guiará a la victoria final.
¿Dónde está Maranta? El Amaranta y el Pinky, ¿dónde están? ¿No? La cantera. Labor Singing Ensemble from North Carolina. We are the cultural arm of worker and civil rights organization Black Workers for Justice. Um, we came in from Raleigh, North Carolina, from Jacksonville, North Carolina, from Durham, um, and we are here because we support and we are part of the labor movement, but also part of the environmental justice movement too. We are with UE150, the North Carolina Public Service Workers Union, local of the United Electrical, Radio, and Machine Workers of America. In our communities, we fight on the job, but we also see the need to fight in our communities. There is no distance between the two. If we want justice on our jobs, we have to fight for justice in our communities. A lot of our communities face um, environmental hazards. Uh, some of us come from communities that have super fun sites in the middle of them. Some of us are part of organizations, environmental organizations that fight against coal ash ponds, that fight, that are currently fighting against the um, Atlantic Coast Pipeline, which will come through predominantly of colors, communities of color, black and Native American communities. Um, so we're fighting against that. We're fighting against hog farms, uh, proliferation in North Carolina, and the dumping in our streams from being contaminated from hog farms. So we see the intersections between workers being poisoned on the job and workers being poisoned in our communities. We want to close with a song. So we wrote a song, Fruit of Labor wrote a song uh, about water contamination based upon struggles that were going on in North Carolina. So we're going to do a little bit of it right now. Okay. It's called Justice Flowing Down Like Water. Family drank from a deep clear well to the hearts and moved underground. Now the only story left to tell is innocence lost in community action. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Little girl don't read so well. There's a lot that she'll never see. Some say it's the mercury in the fish of mama heat. Power plants causing you and me. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Justice flowing down like water. Clean water safe for all. Clean water, clean water safe for all. That's it. <laughs>
Cal at the precinct, you know how we think Organize the hood under our chain banners Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas FBI spying on us through the radio antennas And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society With no respect for the people's right to privacy I take a slug for the cause like Huey P While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P I wanna be free to live, able to have what I need to live Bring the power back to the street where the people live We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons Dying over money and relying on religion for help We do for self like ants in a colony Organize the wealth into a socialist economy A way of life based off the common needs And all my comrades is ready, we just spreading the seed Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented. I Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it It's more than just fucking believing it I'm holding in ones, rolling up my sleeves and shit It's C-Lo for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion Niggas ain't ready for revolution black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved and the jobs don't never pay enough, so the rent always be late. Can you relate? We living in a police state. Yeah. 
that he's up to no good around the neighborhood. Well, for your information, a lot of my brothers got education. Now check it, you got your Wall Street brother, your blue-collar brother. You're down for whatever, chilling on the corner, brother. You're talented brother, and to every one of y'all behind bars, you know that Angela loves you. I'm not afraid. 